In Project Invent, high school students invent technologies that solve real-world problems. They train mentors, publish resources, run events, and connect communities to ensure students are getting a transformative learning opportunity by inventing change. Inventing change, doesn't that sound more like the class you'd envision for young learners in the digital age? Project Invent empowers students with the 21st century skills to succeed individually and impact globally. The goal is to create a generation of fearless problem solvers. Full disclosure, I'm proud to have joined the advisory board for Project Invent this fall. A couple of months after I had my first conversation with Connie Liu, she was named one of Forbes 30 Under 30 for education. What does Forbes know about education? If you're anything like me, you'll wonder. Two conclusions I've drawn since I started wondering, though. The first, I think 30 Under 30 is about entrepreneurship and innovation in the fields that it awards the accolades. And for that, it's super fitting. You can check out the full list of those awarded linked from the show notes. But second, maybe more important, who cares? Have you seen that Key and Peel skit where they set it up like an episode for SportsCenter on ESPN, but the whole thing is about education news? From the exciting world of teaching, and I'm Perry Schmidt. Well, now we know the long-awaited announcement by star English teacher Ruby Roof has sent teaching fans across the nation into a frenzy. I've enjoyed my time in Ohio very much, but I'm pleased to announce that I'm taking my talents back to New York City. Thank you very much. Apparently, PS431 has made Ruby an offer she couldn't refuse. 80 million guaranteed over six years, with another 40 million in incentives based on test scores. This salary puts her right up there with Rockridge Elementary's Katie Hope and William Wu out of Colgate Magnet! All right, let's take a look at yesterday's high school teacher job. The irony is terrific because it's true. I don't care what the publication is. They should all be celebrating big thinking in the field of education. We need to keep every young entrepreneurial professional we can find working on the biggest problems of our time. And education is one that I dare anyone to argue isn't the most cross-cutting of them all. Connie Liu is a mechanical engineer from MIT. She founded Project Invent as a passionate former educator from the Nueva School in California. Now she runs Project Invent to inspire high school students nationally to invent technologies that make a difference. She's an inventor herself and focuses on assistive and adaptive technologies. Justin Byes is a high school student in Apex, North Carolina. He has a passion for engineering and computer sciences. Justin spent over four years learning and working with Autodesk applications. Currently, he's part of a team working to create assistive products for people with ambulatory disabilities. In his spare time, he enjoys mountain biking, reading, and working with his Boy Scout troop. Justin, in the course of this conversation, also happens to introduce me to one of my newest heroes. His name's Sambo Mockby. He was an architect in the South focused on creating architecture for all people. And I encourage you to check out the link in the show notes to the documentary that Justin mentions in his interview. Claire Powell, last but not least, is studying engineering and business at Illinois Institute of Technology. During high school, Claire participated in robotics, rebuilt an engine, and customized a motorcycle. She's currently participating in a model airplane competition and works on the propulsion team. Her favorite type of music is heavy metal, 
And my favorite biographical detail that I've shared in the show, she loves the snow. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Project Invent. If you have some time and you're feeling in the holiday spirit, get back wherever you downloaded the show. Rate, review, give me some comments. It really makes a huge difference. Thanks for your support. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. So, so Connie, Justin, tell me how that works. Um, Project Invent is out there. Uh, you guys are a small operation at this mm-hmm. stage. How does a teacher find out about Project Invent and how does that process work where you get hooked up with a school? Yeah, so a lot of teachers find out about us through conferences we present at or um, through connections from partners like Maker Ed or DSchool K-12 Lab. Um, and then we do an open application process January to April where teachers can apply to be part of the program. Um, then they're part of this year-long fellowship where they get trained over the summer. We support them throughout the year with running a project invent team. And then uh, they all get to come out to demo day where they get to pitch to investors and tech executives. Um, so we're hosting two of those this year, one in Silicon Valley and one in New York City. Um, and even for teachers who don't want to be part of a year-long program, they just want to kind of dabble in making coding for social good. Um, we have a free curriculum on our website that they can just download and uh, use use however they want to in their classroom. Beautiful. So um, you have to re. So for the the educators who are fired up to find this mm-hmm. thing, you have to go go back through where people get connected. So. You said um, uh, D School K twelve. Ah, they can just go straight to our website. That those are just um, through. Those are just additional channels. We uh, got it. Through. Okay, great, yep. perfect. So they can all go to projectinvent.org. Yep, exactly. Perfect. Um, so for Claire, now that you've been through, um. You know, you, you, you guys both, Justin and, and Claire, have been through the experience, and I'm curious to hear from you guys about, um, you know, so design thinking is at the core of what um, this program wants to deliver. And I'm, I'm curious for you to how you think about design thinking. What it What is design thinking to you? Um, so for me, I first heard about it, like the big part of it, my freshman year of high school. And my first, like, reaction was, like, well, duh. (laughs) Like, of course you do that. So, like, I don't know. I feel like even though I didn't actually know that I was doing that process, that was, like, part of what I've done my whole life. Mm -hmm. And so, like, through Project Invent with this whole, like, because it implements that process, I was like, okay, I can do it because I've been doing it my whole life. Uh, I also first heard about it in my freshman year. It was in the drafting one course. Our teacher, Ms. Crum, she is very into design thinking. And mm-hmm. so she did an activity with all of us and kind of geared the whole course around it. What was the activity? We're, we're, we're given, an, we were given this time kitchen items. Okay. We just had to think of little different ways that we could change them to make, to make them serve a slightly different purpose or make them more efficient. Nice. For example, I remember working on making all sorts of different measuring cups, deciding how can we make them more useful for the user? Like designing one where the bottom would come out yeah. so that you didn't have to turn it over. 
I love that. So, so design thinking for you guys has been a part of the experience from, from early on. Connie, I'm curious, um, you know, do you, do you think that it's a generational thing that, that, <laughs> that folks know more about design thinking? I, f- I feel like in, in more cases, young people are coming to programs like this with some sense of how the process works, mm-hmm. or, or do you feel like young people are coming to you still with a, with really sort of wide eyes about what this whole thing is about? I think there's a good mix of ones who have been uh, exposed to design thinking before and those who haven't. Um, but I do think one thing you do see is for a lot of uh, kids who are joining the program, it's because they're social impact oriented and they want to solve problems. And I think a lot of them have that same experience of Claire. Of like when they hear it, they're like, well, yeah, duh. Like this is just <laughs> how you think. And this is just how you solve problems because they've been doing it in the past. Um, just they haven't had the words for it yet. So I feel like it's not a generational thing besides like now we have words for what to call it. But one of my friends in the past put it really well of like when for both of us, when we learned about design thinking, it felt like a homecoming. Mm. Um, It was just like, now we found a word to call our people who also think like this. Mm. Nice. Um, Is our Claire and Justin, the only kinds of students who, right? So, so these are students who have some predisposition to, like Justin was doing uh, drafting class in his freshman year. Mm-hmm. It sounded like, um, is Project Invent for engineers or or budding engineers, or um, is it a wider audience? I would say wider. I think we definitely get uh, a good number of students who are interested in engineering and then that's what draws them to the program. I think a large bulk of them are students who are interested in social impact and come into the program too. Um, So we have tons of stories of students who are uh, literally said they were afraid of going into the makerspace in their school and what brought them in was um, this idea of making social impact and this promise of making real world impact um, that they weren't seeing in any of their other classes. So that was a major draw for them. And A lot of the reason why we make it a pretty mentor-driven model where we have, uh, where we open applications to teachers and mentors as adults um, to bring the program in is because, and and that's a really big um, stance for equity and bringing in students who wouldn't normally identify themselves as innovators or engineers Mm -hmm. or inventors um, to get there because that teacher becomes an advocate of like, hey, you would be a really great fit for this. And I think Claire had told me before too, like it was a teacher that came up to her that was like, hey, you would be a really great fit for this. Why don't you come in and join? And that brings in a lot of students who um, might not normally identify as any of those things, but um, join in because of a teacher advocate. Yeah, we've sort of started to scratch on the topic of social impact, but I want to I want to dive in a little bit. And I'm curious for you, um, Claire and Justin, um, I'm curious where your heads are at in terms of what role social impact will play in the work that you do. Like, Claire, do you feel like, first of all, let's define it. Tell me about how you define social impact, Claire, and to what extent had you always envisioned social impact being part of your role um, in whatever work you do in the future? And and in what ways has uh, this experience changed things? Um, um, um. So I would think social impact is like, you're trying to like 
change a life, like not drastically, but just like slightly improve it. So that could be like making a certain activity easier, or it could be like inventing something that would like save time for them. So that's like what I think a social impact would do is like, it would make a difference in somebody's daily life. Mm. And then I honestly, like I didn't really think about other people too much before this. I was like, I was much more focused on like mechanical stuff, like engines and how to improve that. Or like I was working on robots. So how to like make certain processes more efficient, but not necessarily how to like change someone's life and how to have good social impact. And so after this project, it like really opened my eyes to like what I think is really natural for other people's really difficult and not how they would go about things. So the kid I helped, his name was Jose and he can't really speak. And for me, that is just like such a limiting factor of my life that I was like, wow, it just puts stuff in perspective and it made me like apply engineering to improve someone's social life. So from now, like going onward, like I definitely have like a greater good sort of perspective on things of like, okay, it may not be like changing a person's life, but if I can reduce the amount of pollutants and plastics I use so I can make the earth last a little bit longer, I'll do that. So it's just like keeping a whole bunch of stuff in mind as well. Justin, how do you feel about it? So for me, I feel like social impact, it's doing something that won't go unnoticed. Somewhere someone or many people will like realize or be affected by what you did in a positive way. Um, and that was something I'd always like thought about doing and wanting to do. You know, I want to do something that will help people or affect a lot of people. But it was always just like in the future somewhere. Hmm. But what Project Invent did for me was it just, it kind of showed me uh, like the time is now. I can do this now. Previously, it always felt like uh, I'm not ready yet or I, I need to a few more years before I start this. No. Project Invent showed me I can do it. That's so interesting. So it it sounds like um, you, you, I, I think I'm saying back what I heard you say, Justin, but, but tell me if I'm right, that um, it sounds like this experience was not necessarily the most impact you've made um, generally. I know you're a scout and, and service is kind of a part of your life more broadly. Um, but it, it, am I characterizing it right that it sounds like maybe Project Invent was the most impact you've made with the set of skills that you're trying to build through your your education? Absolutely. That's so neat. So, so what was just, can you give us, give us a little bit more of, um, a flavor of what that impact looked like for you? You were, uh, who were you working with and, um, what was that impact? Yeah. So it was, a uh, my team, it was five members. It was, um, me, uh, we had, we had two older girls, a girl in my grade and another boy in my grade. But we set out, the issue we ended up identifying was related to the use of wheelchairs. And it was that because they're in a chair, they can't wear a backpack, for example. And they need their hands for moving their chair. So they don't have nearly the amount of storage options as we have. So it gets a lot harder to carry things. Yeah. Like one of our, we did research in the community. And one of the people we talked to 
when they take their groceries into their house, they, they put them, the bags in their mouth. Hmm. Like we need a better solution for this. So what we ended up creating is a autonomous robot that follows behind wheelchairs and acts as a place where um, the user can set their groceries or their bags or whatever they may be carrying. And it will just follow behind them hmm. so that they can access it. Did you have an, an individual in mind as you were designing or, or specific people? Yes. There is one girl in our school who has, I've, I'm trying to remember the name. I believe it's pops. Anyway, it's an autoimmune disorder and her joints uh, pop out of place a lot. And mm. it's the name is an acronym, but, mm. and so she's, she's struggling with that and she's wheelchair bound a lot of the time and she can't carry heavy objects very well. And she, so she was our, our original inspiration and we set out, speak to more users to see what similar problems they had. That's incredible. And what did she have to say about the design? She thinks it's great. We're still working on getting a um, prototype to her. <clears throat> she, unfortunately, she wasn't able to be there for a lot of the process, despite our original plans, just because sometimes she's not able to make it to school because yep. of her. Yep. Well, these are these are constraints, right? For uh, yeah. designers and engineers, is we have to when we're working in a human centered way, um, you're working with humans. <laughs> yeah, humans have all kinds of things uh, in their lives uh, beyond our designing for them or or building for them. Um, Connie, I'm curious, just like how does this feel to you? What you're hearing from these guys? Um, are you just hearing it over and over from all of your students, or does this feel <laughs> particularly special? Like, have you had a chance to reflect with um, individuals about? you know, the, the way this is hitting them as, as uh, from the experience side? Yeah, I think especially because, um, I, I came from a very human centered design world. My favorite part of this work is being able to have conversations with students and teachers about the impact that, um, project invent can have on them, but rather than just focusing on the feel good about like, how can we continue to improve that experience? What else needs to be included as part of that? Um, so I think like I thrive in the stories and I love being able to hear Justin and Claire uh, speak about it. And like these opportunities to dig deeper into that are, are really valuable. Yeah. So if you, if you kind of, if you had one thing that every, every learner who comes through project invent now or, or in, you know, in um, the dreamy future where project invent continues to succeed. Where we live in space. Where we live in space. <laughs> yeah. Um, What's the one thing when when you kicked off Project Invent, you hoped every young person who went through the program would leave with? I very much think of Project Invent as an empowerment program. So it's all about how do we empower students who grow up and see that they can affect change in the world around them, whatever that challenge is. So it doesn't matter if they become an engineer. It doesn't matter if they become a technologist. It matters that they become a problem solver and that they, when they identify that there's um, ways that the world around them can be improved and they can apply that, um, uh, that impact to actually making a change. Yeah. So it's really that empowerment that I hope they leave with. That's terrific. And, and Justin kind of spoke directly to that, that moment of, um, agency, right. Of mm -hmm. feeling like, 
this is not something I need to grow up and wait to do. Um, but something I have the power to impact now. Um, that's a really powerful thing. I'm curious for you two and, and you as well, Connie, uh, what are the designs that inspire you? Right. So, um, you're, you're out there thinking about engineering every day. You're reading stories. You're, um, you know, in, in the design and built world, uh, if there was, um, put it this way, if you, if you, if you don't have a, an answer to who are the designers that inspire you, what are the designs that inspire you, right? Like, what are the things that you're seeing out there in the world that you feel like, you know what, I want to, that's the kind of thing I want to be a part of as a future designer, engineer, social entrepreneur, whatever it is you end up doing. Last year, once again, the draft, we showed this really interesting documentary. Um, and it was about a group of people. I believe it's connected to a college down in uh, Alabama. And they were, they were an architectural group and they were designing these like really unique houses using like recycled materials, reused materials uh, to help improve the communities down there. Cause it's a, it's a poor area. So um, there are a lot of people in need of houses and the, they were designing these houses free for people and they're all using really interesting architecture and they're trying to make it as affordable to live in as possible. And I thought it was really neat. And it made me realize that I, like, my current plan is to probably go into architecture, mm. but it made me realize I don't want to do the, you know, massive skyscrapers for billionaires to live in. I want to do something that affects much more common people. That's outstanding. I love that. I have to, uh, when, when you think of it after our interview, um, will you go back and see if you can find me a link to the documentary and I'll put it in yes. the show notes? Absolutely. Great. Claire, what are your ideas? So I've got two things that popped to mind when you talked about that. So I read an article a couple of days ago about an Irish, I think it was Irish, teenager who came up with this chemical substance that when you put it in water, the microplastics in the water are like pulled towards it. Like it's, <laughs> it, it's a magnet that basically pulls microplastics out of water. And he used it like just basic chemistry knowledge about like polar and nonpolar. I thought that was so cool because that's such like a dire need right now. And so that like, that was like, wow. And he's 18. So it's like, it's one of us and it's great. That's and insane. Then, it's insane. <laughs> I was, my mind was blown when I read it. I was like, wow. I love that. And then, that's magic. <laughs> so last night it's, it's weird, but I was, you know, filling up the uh, electric teapot with water and putting it on. And I was just like amazed at like, wow, this makes boiling water in less than a minute. <laughs> and that's so amazing. Yeah. So it's just like, like little, like little, like inventions or um, things in my life that like really like inspire me to like engineer for like the better good, because like, Otherwise, like, like I couldn't have, you know, a cup of tea in my dorm because you're not allowed to have, yeah. you know, a stove top. So it's just like little things like that, that I think I would want to make is like, it just makes a little difference that people like don't even realize that it's in their life, but it also like does so much. Yeah. 
I wonder, I wonder to what extent for myself, I, I think, um, had you never had, uh, any training in, in design or, uh, design thinking, um, for engineers as engineers, but, but, um, I, I wonder to what extent you would notice the design world to the extent that you do. Um, if you haven't had that kind of experience, I think a lot of, um, of people like Donald Norman, do you guys read Don Norman? Um, super, super design nerd, um, stuff that you guys can, uh, after, after our call check out. Um, so he wrote, some books like um, there was the design of everyday things, which was probably one of his most famous and, um, and a couple of others. And he was actually, he was a researcher and somebody who um, really kind of came up when before user centered was a hyphen hyphenated thing, right? Like he was kind of one of the pioneers to think about what user centered research was all about. Um, And anyway, so, um, Reading one of his books, I remember coming across the idea of um, what now I've heard referred to subsequently as um, what they call Norman doors, um, which is like, you know, when you approach a, a, you know, maybe you approach a a flat door and um, it'll have like a little handle on it, uh, but it's actually a push. You know that experience um, where like the the design of the handle and then uh, oftentimes it comes with like bad signage where um, it has to like point you to the experience you're supposed to be having with this door. So he talks a lot in some of his books and, and articles about um, everyday objects like this and how uh, we can achieve through design and, and better perspectives on engineering um, an environment where user experience doesn't need to be pointed out with like an added, you know, a sign that we add afterwards. So um, anyway, things like your tea kettle example is a great one. And um, you, you should definitely check out some, some Don Norman, which I will put in the, in the show notes, everybody should check out um, design of everyday things. And then there was things that make us smart, which was one of my um, super faves. It's a great one. So, um, so what's what I, I'm I just want to stay on this for a second and and keep talking about social impact because I'm I'm eager and and this maybe has less to do with with um, your experience at Project Invent but but uh, but maybe not so much as as everything is influenced by our experiences right and and um, I wonder the extent I'm I'm curious where your heads are now and you're thinking about the the world as it is. Um, you know, tell me about, have you seen stories, things in, in the news in the last, uh, months, weeks that are firing you up as designers and engineers to get involved and apply some of what you learned through, uh, the program and elsewhere? For me, it's probably transportation. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things in transportation are you interested in? So I've done a lot of work with engines and I'm on a current team that's working out like on the propulsion of an airplane. So I really am fascinated by like batteries and how engines work. And just the fact that like there's so much limitation around our current methods of transportation and how we utilize batteries and engines. And I think there's so much room for improvement and 
so much room to like better people's lives because of it. And I'm really interested about it. I've personally been really interested in the like green city concepts that have started to um, appear and been released some in the past several years. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to get into architecture that is about, <clears throat> you know, making, making use of green space, bringing it back to cities, not making concrete like hunks. <clears throat> yeah. I love that. So such, such good, uh, good areas. I hope, uh, I'm, I'm rooting for you guys and, and, uh, I can't wait to see what comes from all this experience you've had. I'm curious. So we've, we've talked about what kind of impact you want to make. I I just want to talk for a second about failure. Um, right. And, and so here's what I mean. You know, you hear all the time about, and, and educators in, uh, in, in rooms in the back where they're, uh, creating some of these experiences are, are talking about the importance of, of learning, um, you know, the iterative process. And I'm curious for you guys, you've been through a year of the program. So I'm curious, um, do you guys have failures that stand out to you? Like were were there moments in the projects that you worked on where, um, you know, uh, Einstein is famously, uh, you know, quoted as, as being a huge fan of failure and how many times you need to fail. Um, did you guys have a moment in your projects, uh, where you feel like you really grew to appreciate failure and iteration and, and just sort of had those aha moments that, um, you would sort of carry you through the rest of the project? Uh, I definitely had multiple failures that uh, would inspire the project to be better. Um, I'll get to the most notable one last, but during my, during my prototyping, uh, I had like next to no experience with electrical engineering. And I I was starting to get real excited because this was when I was very first getting the project going. I was finally seeing things happening with it. And, um, and then the thing just, it, it lit on fire. Hmm. <laughs> it short, there's a short in the wires. I was running too much current through it. And I had no idea what any of this was, but so this, this has caused me to um, go and find resources. Find, we got hooked up with a very useful partner who um, he helped us through a lot of it, but he had an understanding of electrical engineering and he, you know, helped me learn these things. So I wouldn't make the same mistakes while making the proto while making the next versions of the prototype. On demo day, our prototype didn't work. Like we, we had to take it across the country, and it somewhere in the packing it into its suitcase, hmm. and taking it back out, and trying to reassemble, something wasn't working. Right, and I never did figure out what it was. Oh I no! Could, what? Yeah. So we we did not have it working on demo day, and when I got home, I, I put it back together because I wanted to know what was wrong with the prototype, and I I could never figure it out. It just worked <laughs> when I got home. So now part of my, part of my drive is I'm trying to figure out how to make sure this does not happen again. You know, in my iterations, I'm trying to make it easier and easier to take apart and put back together so that I don't get a repeat of this event. Yeah. That's fantastic. Which is a weird thing to say about failure. And (laughs) I'm I'm sorry that it wasn't. You always have to celebrate it. (laughs) When you you got there. Yeah. It ended up, I mean, it ended up working out. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Claire? Anything, anything that stands out? So I have sort of like a different perspective on failure itself. Like, I don't think it's failure 
as failure. I just think it's like you're in a maze and you went to a dead end. So you just have to turn around. It's not necessarily like I never felt like discouraged when something didn't work or I spent a lot of time on something and we would test it with Jose and it ended up not being what he needed at all. It was mostly just like, okay, I learned something new. And even though it's not going to like be applied to this situation, I can apply it to something else later. Mm. And so I always took it as like more of a learning experience than like a failure. Like, it, like I don't know. When I think of failure, I think of like something bad or you feel like a sense of discouragement. And I never feel that in engineering. Like sometimes I get a little annoyed when I like spent, you know, 40 hours working on something and then it becomes like absolute. But yeah. So, yeah. Can I share an anecdote from another team as well that I feel like captures Please. failures role in social impact work specifically? So one of our teams was working with a uh, lady who had trouble with uh, fine motor skills and grip strength. So she, her, her work required a lot of writing, but she couldn't write for very long because mm. um, her hands will get tired really quickly. So um they interviewed her about this. They um, uh, they observed while she wrote, took measurements, everything. Went back and were like, "Okay, we'll design like um, a uh, basically like robotic hand glove to be able to help with that grip." Mm-hmm. Um, so they designed it all. They went back to her and then showed it to her and had her use it. Um, and before that, they uh, just gave her a like G2 roller ink pen. Mm. Um, and they're like, can you try this first before you try the thing we did? And then she tried it and she was like, oh, this is perfect. This is all I need. <laughs> it just needed like a better ink flow pen at the end of the day. But they um, had tried to apply like their technology know-how right. to the problem. Um, and that was like a very large slice of humble pie for them of wow. um really going back and thinking about um uh applying te- technology isn't the solution to everything and our solution isn't the best solution for us we need to stay user-centered not like our ego-centered we right. wanted to engineer right. something um but what she needs is the simplest uh, best solution so they that's went with that fantastic. and then solved another problem instead that's fantastic <laughs> big pivot for them yeah Turns out somebody did uh, invent a solution there. It exactly. Was called it's called G2, Pilot G2. <laughs> shell roller pen. Um, that's amazing. So, uh, Connie, we don't we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to talk about the future for Project Invent. And um, I'm curious how you're feeling about, you know, you ha- now have um, – some time under your belt as an organization you've you founded this thing there are learners being impacted by it clearly um what does it look like in in uh, you know a, a couple of years and what's your idea about how um how nonprofit learning organizations grow and how you continue um having the kind of impact that that uh these, you know, your, your learners are through the programs? So much of it is rooted in, at the end of the day, we just want innovation opportunities to be the norm in every school. Um, Right now we have a whole focus on prioritizing, like make sure every student knows what a mitochondria is and how to compute an integral by hand. But 
obviously there are other things that will prepare them for the future better. And Project Invent's role is in how do we shift the priorities of education towards um, giving students empowerment opportunities and opportunities to innovate instead. Um, so I very much see Project Invent as it continues to grow as playing a very large role in um, showcasing stories like the ones that Claire and Justin have about the power of this type of learning and you, leveraging those stories into uh, making hopefully policy changes, hopefully um, changes in just how education thinks about what matters um, into uh, in, into shifting uh, towards towards a focus that's more relevant for 21st century learning. Well, um, anything for you guys that I haven't asked about the experience that I should have? I think you covered it. I uh, so appreciate the time. I'm so excited uh you know, to have you guys out there and, and, you know, it, it sounds, um, it may sound syrupy to you, uh, but when, um, it feels really good to know you guys are on the trajectory that you are and that, uh, not only are you headed for the world, um, in whatever capacity you end up taking your, your skills, right. Whether you become engineers or, um, decide you want to run a coffee shop. The idea that you've had this experience framing some of these uh, interests through the lens of social impact uh, is is comforting to me and, and makes me feel a lot of hope for what's to come um, through this, uh, you know, an amazing generation coming up. So it was so good to meet the two of you. Um, Connie, I can't thank you enough for coming on and I hope that uh, we can do some updates from Project Invent to talk about um, projects from this year because there's a lot Um, you guys have how many schools this year working on projects? 30 this year so just 30 schools and uh, within a school how many projects happening? Usually usually one or two to start out Mm -hmm. so so we have uh, 30 odd projects to check out this year um, and maybe even, uh, we will, uh, get to have some more of your young designers on to, uh, to talk about the work, uh, yeah. as we get closer to some of those, um, pitch sessions. That would be great. So, um, thank you guys so much. Um, I have Claire, some, re- some of your music recommendations to go check out. And uh, if any of the stuff we talked about is of interest to you or anybody listening, um, please go check out the show notes. Justin, Claire, Connie, thank you guys for joining and uh, best of luck to each of you. I hope you have a Thank you a for hosting, year. Mark. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. 